0: Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Matt Carpenter on February 14th, Lord's Day service. The text this morning is the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. Hebrews. Chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward His name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God Determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, in which it it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge, to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Our Father, as we have come into Your presence, we ask that You would confirm us and strengthen us in Christian hope. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. How do you respond after you've worked really hard and no one notices? What about when you work hard in an impossible situation where you will likely be persecuted for doing good or even for publicly naming what is good and evil? This was was the situation for Christians in the book of Hebrews. The book was written to a people who were tempted to return to their old ways. These were former Jews who had become Christians. So they understood what they had given up. And they were facing persecution for what they had given up. And they were tempted to go back. Their friends were saying, look, if you just come back, leave this Christianity stuff and go back to what you know, go back to what you're familiar with, it'll be so much better. God's people have at times faced situations like this throughout our history. In the midst of those times of temptation, there is a temptation to question if God really cares. And even, dare we say it, among saints, there is a temptation at times for some to question, is God really who everybody says He is? We want to think, parents, that if we raise our children just right, there will never be any question about anything that we've taught. That they'll just keep on walking, that there will never be any doubts, any struggles. But, but ask yourself, have you ever faced a time when you were tempted? Now, I, I'm, I'm not saying that we should all aspire for this dramatic turning away so that then we'll come back. That's not the point at all. But there's temptation that we face. and, And we are... We can easily become Pharisees if we say, that'll never happen to me. That'll never happen to my kids. We have to be ready for questions. But... There's good news here. It's not just that there's questions and there's temptations. Christians have always faced this. Now for some, today, we we can look back and we can say, well, we have it easier than any other Christians ever did. And in some ways that's true. But if we're honest, when you look around and you read what's going on, in some ways it's harder to be a Christian in the United States than it's ever been in our history. There is a negative perspective on those who name the name of Christ now in a way that there's not been in the past. The threat of persecution and the lure of technological escapism is a witch's brew that threatens us and our children. For us to withstand in the evil day, we must have a living hope. And that's what this passage is about. Here, the author, and I may accidentally slip up and say Paul sometimes, so... Don't hold that against me. We don't know that for sure. It just sounds like the apostle. But the author lovingly calls the saints to persevere. He reminds them of how Abraham, over a long period of time, endured patiently. And eventually, he saw God's promise fulfilled. And that's the message for us. We need hope to persevere through our lives. And hope is the emphasis of this passage. We often hear the terms faith and hope used synonymously. But they're not actually the same thing. Excuse me. Martin Luther, in one of his commentaries, said it this way. He said that, and this is not an exact quote, this is a summary of something a lot longer that he wrote. Faith gives us direction while hope gives us the strength to follow that direction. Faith relies on the promise of God or the promises of God. Hope rests in the goodness of God Himself to fulfill those promises. Faith is given Before tribulation, hope comes alive in the midst of tribulation. So, for us to walk obediently and in submission to God, for us to continue to persevere, we need not only faith in what God has said, we need to have something that stirs our faith, and that is hope. And I'm going to go ahead and skip ahead because if I could, for lack of a better way to say this, even though it's not the most pleasant sound, if I could drill this into your head, excuse me, I want want you to hear that faith is an anchor of the soul. Verse 18. He says, we have a strong consolation. We have fled for refuge to lay hope, to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope is an anchor of the soul, sure and steadfast. The picture is not one of just throwing an anchor down and hoping that that, that it will catch on something. Imagine throwing an anchor down and it catching the very bottom, hooking as, as as tightly as it can onto the rock of Gibraltar. Is that ship going anywhere? No. The rock upon which our hope is, upon which we are anchored, will never fail. In this passage, the author gives an encouragement an exhortation, and an example to the saints. And all of this is for the purpose of building our hope and for them to build their hope in God. So first he begins with an encouragement in verse 10. And this, the encouragement is this, God is faithful and will not forget their work. As good Reformed Christians, we are rightly nervous about hearing about our works because we know what Scripture says about our works. But here, he says something different. He said that that God is not unjust. He's not unrighteous. Using a, a double negative... To prove the positive in other words God is faithful and he doesn't forget (coughs) excuse me he doesn't forget your work and your labor of love God sees the works that you do that are good that nobody else sees When you are feeling driven to do something that you should not do, and you say, nobody's going to hear, nobody's going to see, nobody's going to know this, and especially kids, this is something that you're having to learn right now, and it's kind of hard because you think sometimes, mom and dad don't see it, my brother, my sister won't see it, I can do it, but guess who sees it? God. But here, Paul's saying, God does see it, and He's pleased. When you feel like doing something you shouldn't, He is pleased when you say, I'm going to obey Jesus instead. He sees that, and He's honored by that. And the same is for us adults. Beloved saints, God sees you. And He sees you with eyes that are greater than your own he sees you with a love that you can't possibly see certainly when you, when we look in the mirror a lot of times we say oh boy that's not how your father sees you he doesn't see you and say oh man why do i put up with this one no he sees you and you as his saint are a delight. He says in Zephaniah, he rejoices over you with singing. You bring a song to your father's heart. And he's not going to forget about your works. He now we know he doesn't ignore our sin, and I'm not saying that he ignores our sin. But when we sin, we know we have an advocate with the Father. We have Jesus Christ. And when the Father looks at us, He sees us through the person of Jesus, the perfect one. When He remembers you, when He remembers your works, He doesn't say, well, that was okay. It it could have been about 30% better. No. He sees your work through Jesus through the perfect work of His Son. And He doesn't forget. We oftentimes, we're prone to think about all the negative things that we do and say, yeah, I'm sure He remembers those because that's what we're, we're tempted to remember. But thankfully, that's not our Father. Every work you do unto him is perfected in Christ, and he does not forget. You may feel sometimes like nobody cares. Have, again, like I started out this morning saying, have you ever worked and worked and worked and you're doing something that you believe is faithful and no one notices? No one says, I appreciate this. They act like it, it's just magic. Like you go to bed, like, like the you know the, the fairy tale of the shoemaker who... Uh, who who went to bed, and then when he woke up, there's these beautiful pairs of shoes that the elves just, just in the night made for him. And sometimes we're tempted to think that that's how our house gets cleaned. Or that's how the money comes in. How does it come in? It's magic. Those numbers just appear in the bank account. No. God sees it. He does not forget Whatever you do is unto Him. He sees it and He remembers. The reason for your confidence that He he remembers is this, that He is righteous. He is our righteous, never changing, always remembering, faithful God. So the encouragement is, God is faithful and will not forget your work. But then... After that, he gives an exhortation. Is anyone using that water right there? Does that belong to anybody? Thank you. If it was open, I apologize if, if, you, if it was yours. God won't forget your like, your work there. <laughs> The exhortation, the second part, is to continue serving in God's kingdom. Verses 11 and 12. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That you don't become sluggish or slothful, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Spiritual discouragement and fatigue is a normal Part of the Christian life. I can remember when I was young thinking, you know, if I could just get it right, if I could just read my Bible enough, pray enough, witness to enough people, if I could just get to bed early enough, all, you know, whatever it is, if I could just do these things, I would just hit this plane where I could, I could walk just a few inches above the ground. Okay. And then I discovered that there's actually branches of the church that believe that. That, that they, they teach that you can hit this, this spiritual stride and you can walk sinlessly. But I'm going to tell you, it, it doesn't happen like that. And if you think that that's the case, it is very discouraging because eventually the weight just pulls you down. Something happens and you see, boy... I was really, I was so godly yesterday. And today, I've seen it 73 times, and it's not even breakfast. Or you're working, and even when you've not, when you, you know, there's not a sin that you know that you've committed, you're just discouraged, you're just tempted. Our Savior, Jesus, needed rest. Jesus became fatigued. That's part of our human nature. Our emotions are not infinite. We we are not... When we are born again, there's not an internal switch that's flipped that means we will never feel dark again. But Jesus, to strengthen Himself, He went alone to be with God. He strengthened Himself in His Father. He went apart. He went apart from the crowds. Sometimes He would go apart from the crowds and with His disciples. Sometimes He would leave His disciples and be totally alone. So when I say to keep serving in God's kingdom, I'm not saying be more like Martha and less like Mary. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying to not give up on your walk with the Lord even when it feels like there's not much of a walk there. You can continue in your work even when it doesn't feel like everything's going well, when it doesn't feel like things are flowing the right way. You can continue in your work because you can know God has not forgotten. He did this on purpose, okay? He he gave us verse 10, that God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love and he goes from that encouragement to the exhortation. So because he's not unrighteous to forget your work, keep on. Don't get down and say, there's no hope. Every day you interact with people who are on a... a, a just on a, a continuum of spiritual conditions. Some are absolutely dead in trespasses and sin, and they're walking totally apart from God, especially, you know, those who, when you, you leave your house and you go to work, you know, hopefully that's not the case where you have, you know, violent atheists from your two-year-old or something like that. But, you know, in, in, in your, when you go out into the world, you face people of different spiritual conditions. And every interaction you have can have eternal significance. So don't give in to the temptation, and it's really strong right now, don't give in to the temptation to leave your faith at home. To go out into the world and just be straight-laced, you know, I don't want to show too much light because then somebody may ask too many questions and I could get the hook at my work. Or someone could think something, so I don't know that I want to pray with anybody because that could be misinterpreted. That's, it, it's so easy to do that. But Paul is saying, keep on. Don't hide this. Because the Christians back then, they were in danger as well. Seek how you can bless others. And this is in your home too, okay? Your your husband, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, they need to hear good things from you. They need to hear, they need you to bless them. And maybe when you bless them, you'll find that, that the Lord is doing good things in them and then when you need it sometimes too, the Lord will bless you. He'll use somebody, your brother, your sister, or your parent to bless you also. So don't keep your faith covered. You have no idea how your work, small as it may seem, will bear eternal fruit. He understands that it's hard to keep on Because so many times, we we don't feel like it. We're tired. But he's saying, God's not going to forget. Even when you don't see the fruit that you desire, keep on going. So in in order to, to encourage us further in this, after giving us an encouragement and an exhortation, he gives an example at the end of verse 11, he said, excuse me, verse 12, he said, Imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The example is Abraham in verses 13 through 18. He presents Abraham as an example of one who continued in hope. Abraham only received God's promise after much tribulation and patience. Verse 15... Said after he patiently endured, he obtained the promise. So, what gave Abraham hope? God's word and God's character. The author emphasizes the point that God swore to Abraham by himself. In other words, God swore an oath to Abraham, and usually back then, when you would make a covenant, you would swear by someone greater than yourself. And in the, the, in, in the pagan nations, they would swear by the gods. Because what they're saying is, when you would swear, you're saying, I will do this, and if I don't accomplish this, may the gods rip me open and feed me to the animals. That, that, that's, that's what they're saying. That's, by the way, if you remember the story, that's why Abraham, when, when th- there was an an, animals that were cut in half and put on either side, and usually both parties would walk down the middle of those animals. And they're saying, uh, may I be like these animals if I don't fulfill this oath? But do you remember who walked between the animals in the story of Abraham? The lamp that Abraham saw. Who is that? That's God. So God, because there was no one, there's no one greater than God. Amen? Amen. There's no one greater than God. So Abraham, excuse me, God swore by himself. So the promise of God is dependent on who he is. So if God did not fulfill this promise, this oath, that he made to Abraham, he would have to destroy himself. He would cease to be God if he didn't follow through with his promise to bless the nations with salvation through Abraham's seed. Salvation would not have come to the world if Abraham did also not persevere, though, in hope. And that's the way with God. He calls us to walk with Him in hope and in faith. When we speak and work in obedience to Him, we are ministers of His salvation to the world. And while He is working through you on behalf of other people, He's also finishing His work in you as well. He's bringing you as His child to glory. And that promise that He would do that, guess what? It's the same thing as when He made the oath to Abraham. If He does not accomplish the work in His children that He promised, He would cease to be God. That is the level of assurance you can have. At times, we can see what's going on. There are times, and you know this, there are times when you can see that the Lord is using you. You can feel just when you speak the words, when you do a work for someone, and they're thankful, and you feel really good on the inside. And we all love those times. Those are great. At other times, though, we can't see what's going on, and it's really, really hard. Like Pastor Lush talked about last week, it's all vapor. It seems like it's useless. But no matter what we see or how we feel, the good news is God does not change. God does not change. And verse 17 says that it wasn't just for Abraham's sake that he swore by himself, it was for our sakes as well. He wants us to know who he is and that he is sure and that he is faithful. He engaged here in a double promise to give us hope. He says, verse 18, that by two immutable, that is two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. What are those two things? First of all, God told Abraham, I will do this, okay? That's God's Word. But then on top of that, he swore an oath that he would do it. It's out of the mouth of two witnesses, brothers and sisters. It's just like with you, parents, maybe you've had this experience before, when you would tell one of your kids, we're going to do such and such on this day. And perhaps your kids didn't believe you. And they say, will you promise? You ever had that happen? Do you promise? Well, I used to think, well, that's not very... What does that say about my word then? But you know what? God the Father did that. He did. He he told Abraham he was going to do it, and then he swore an oath. Essentially, he's saying, I'm going to do this, and I promise I'm going to do this. And he did it not just for Abraham, he did it for our sakes. Because he wants us to have strong consolation. He says, verse 17, God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise. Who are the heirs of promise? That's us. We are the heirs of promise. It was to the people in Hebrews that the author was writing to, but it's it's us also. When we are facing trials, when it seems like God is far away, we need to be reminded of His goodness. We need an anchor. And hope in God is that anchor. Our hope is not rooted in what we see. It's not rooted in our obeying enough to bring God's plan about. Our hope is rooted in God Himself, the only one who is perfectly faithful, gracious, merciful, and kind. We can trust that whatever comes our way, God is at work. Because the one who swore is faithful, your hope is guaranteed. The rock isn't going anywhere. The earth and heaven may be removed, but the rock of our salvation will stand eternally. This is the point at which you say amen, because that's that's really true. Amen? Amen. Amen. He gave this oath for our strong consolation, our deepest encouragement. So where do you go when trials are sore? Where do you go when you are tired, when you're weak, and when you're ready to give in? When you have more questions than you have answers? Go to the God of our fathers. The same God who swore and fulfilled His promise to Abraham. Flee to Him. It says that He is our refuge. Verse 18, we have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. He is our city of refuge. In the old covenant, the the city of refuge was a place where if you accidentally killed someone, you would flee to this place in order to, to not be killed yourself by someone who is seeking revenge, a family member. When you sin and you feel the hounds of guilt who are coming right at you, when you at times are are empty and dry spiritually and unbelief is banging at the door, demanding that you surrender, don't try to face this yourself. Don't say, I can handle this. You have a place of consolation, a strong rock that will protect you always. As Pascal said, He is not the God of the philosophers, but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And He is your God, and He is for you. He is your source, the rock on which you are anchored. So, brother and sister, where do you come to find this? Come to the mercy seat. That's the place he talks about in verse 19, behind the veil. Come to the place where God dwells. Pitch your hope, the anchor of your soul on Him. He is good. He's not unrighteous to forget your works, your labors of love done in His name. You can and you will persevere despite the torrents, despite the weariness, the storms, the despair that stalks you. You can and will persevere because you are anchored in hope to the God who never changes. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for giving us this strong consolation. We thank you that you are sure and steadfast. We pray that you would strengthen us in hope. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's TrinityReformed, K-I-R-K.com.